Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Decolonizing therapy is about therapy and not just therapy, but healing work. So that could include body work or spiritual work like Reiki or acupuncture and acupressure, somatic work, all different kinds of healing work. It is that kind of healing work that centralizes not just whiteness, not just white people and not just white theory, right? And it's looking at the systemic oppression that things like the mental health system, the criminal justice system, the education system, what they have done to the body, minds, and spirits, the psyches of many people of color. So it is a process of helping us to undo ourselves from thousands upon thousands of years of essential collective brainwashing or conditioning, if you want to call it. How you day, how you day. That was the voice of Dr. Jennifer Mullen. And if you listen to this episode, I really want you to jot out a few things. There are many reflection prompts in the episode, many things to consider as you're reflecting on how you show up in the world, specifically about knowing your history and understanding what colonization is. In this episode, we talk about decolonizing therapy and the whole concept of decolonization. And given the year we've had, uh, I think it's something to truly reflect on because this mindset of colonization extends beyond what the traditional definition is. I recorded this episode a while ago, and everything that she said holds as true as it did then, as it does now. Okay? I hope you enjoy the episode, and I hope it is a catalyst for you to become a change agent in your organization, in your family, and in your environment. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's guest is Dr. Jennifer Mullen. Now, Dr. Mullen works with people to create spaces within themselves and within organizations to heal. Part of the journey towards healing involves dismantling systemic and internalized oppression, which she identifies as the decolonization of our mind, our body, and our spirits. She's passionate about working with people to create containers of wellness, equity, and elevated consciousness through workshops, retreats, classes, coaching, and consulting. Now, I found her page while scrolling through Instagram, as you do, and uh, there, there's several pages that I do follow within the therapy and decolonization and diversity, equity, and inclusion, and I just continued to find myself hitting that save button on Instagram and hitting the like button and then sharing, <laughs> and I'm like, I should probably reach out. She maybe would never respond, but I just wanted to tell her I appreciate her work, and she did. Here we are today. Welcome to the show, Dr. Muller. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It is an honor to be here, and I'm so grateful that you like so many of the posts. <laughs> I, did, 
I do. I do. I mean, this this is the thing. When when you see something so great, you got to acknowledge it and you got to share it. Uh, but also, the other thing about your post is that I found myself learning new concepts and new coping mechanisms and just new things. So, mm. just so that the audience understands what you do, can you explain what you mean by the decolonization of therapy? Absolutely. Um, well, part decolonization, as we know, right, is so often used as a metaphor. And I think it's really important that we also like lay the groundwork, right, and respect the fact that many, many people of color and indigenous peoples um, have grown up in very colonized states, meaning that there has been an external force or power, um, usually aka a country, um, that comes into other countries to take needed resources. Um, and usually they don't come into these countries saying, hey, we want these resources, let me get that, right? Or right. Let's, let's barter, let's work this out. Rather, it is usually under a guise of, hey, we're here to help y'all. And in reality, it ends up being much more of a pillaging and a taking, much like we have come to learn with like Christopher Columbus and the Nina, the Pinta, the Santa Maria, and coming into um, our Indians on the East Coast and killing and pillaging. So it is not a light word and it's not exactly a pretty word, um, but it's a very real one. And as a therapist for the last 15 years, what I began to see is just looking at the individual and just looking at individual issues that people were bringing into therapy, I felt like I was missing something really big. Um, and as many of us therapists are asked to work or, or given opportunities to work in inner cities when we're doing our practicums and internships, here we are working with our most at-risk individuals, people that are historically disadvantaged, right? So here we are, quote unquote, practicing how to do therapy on people that have little to no access and services. And what I would often be told is, well, at least they're getting services. They should be happy for that. Oh and my like, gosh. Right? Right? <laughs> and it's like, whoa, like this is deep. And then as I started educating myself and sometimes getting forcefully <laughs> voluntold to educate myself, um, I started to slowly wake up. And, and as, a, as a person of color, that it didn't mean that it was like natural for me. It was, it was a process of having to look at my own internalized oppression um, and the way that I was also acting that out, working at universities or hospitals or clinical mental health centers. So what does that have to do with decolonization is that a lot of times those of us that are well-intentioned, and I want to put that out there, are super well-intentioned, are getting into these fields to do work that is healing for people, we are using the colonizer's tools, right? We are, we are still, we are taught to use tools that are primarily for Eurocentric populations, right? So if you think of Freud and you think of uh, Pavlov or Bandura, these are some of the people that are pretty well known, right? Uh, Aaron Beck, not that these guys don't have really valid theories like cognitive behavioral and psychodynamic. There is use and a place for all of that. But the reality is that these are primarily white men, right? <laughs> these are all right. white men, right? right. So the, the people that I, that I learned about and that I was reading and that I was digesting, although that there was some value to what was being said, I often found myself and I knew I was not the only one because we, we've talked about this. I've been in supervision groups talking about this. I've read books on this. People 
um, and I'm going to generalize and just say people of color, um, including our indigenous brothers and sisters, a lot of people of color were led to feel left out of these equations, right? So decolonizing therapy is, is about therapy and not just therapy, but healing work. So that could include body work or spiritual work like Reiki or um, acupuncture and acupressure, somatic work, all different kinds of healing work. It is that kind of healing work that centralizes not just whiteness, not just white people and not just white theory, right? And it's looking at the systemic oppression that things like the mental health system, um, the criminal justice system, the education system, what they have done to the body, minds, and spirits, the psyches of many people of color. Um, so it is a process of helping us to undo ourselves from thousands upon thousands of years of essential collective brainwashing or conditioning, if you want to call it, right? Yes. It, you yes. know, it, it's a way of unlearning. So um, I, I always tell people that in decolonizing therapy, it is still a process. And the process is threefold. It's, you know, the therapist or the healer or the worker undoing themselves. Sometimes I use the F-U-C-K word. <laughs> so, I mean, I it's you know. okay. This, okay. This is, you, you can say it on this podcast as well. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, it's like really untangling and unfucking ourselves from everything that we thought was correct, right? So right. It, it's like that shift, like, wait, Santa isn't real. What? So, you know, whatever age you found that out, it was just like, what? That's like, the world is not flat. It's round. What? Like, so it is, it is this process of realizing that the world doesn't rise and shine on values um, that only work to a certain extent for certain people. So I'm not saying that CBT never helped me or like looking at my thoughts. Sure. But there's a certain point where also I found that my therapist who I loved was also inadvertently making me feel like certain things were still my fault rather than acknowledging like, hey, this is a really common experience for a person of color. You know, you're walking in the world, you know, as, as a as a Afro-Latina black woman, you know, and this is your experience. And yeah, you know, you are going to be shushed or looked over as opposed to maybe your light-skinned Latina or your white counterpart. And that's really common rather than person after person and mentor after mentor and therapist after therapist just, well, maybe you need to say it this way. Well, maybe you need to change the tone of your voice. Well, maybe you should try straightening your hair. Well, maybe, and it's like, wow, what a way to make people that are already historically marginalized continue to feel as though we're the fucking problem when we're not the problem. We're, we're the medicine, we're the answer. Yeah, you know, um, in my book, I, 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 there's something I said that I, I, I can hear you resonate with. I said, we live in a very conditioned world as opposed to an intentional world. And it's, it's, it's highlighting what you're saying where many people just accept things as the status quo, as the way it's supposed to be because they've been told to or because it's a belief that they've somehow you know, taken on from the parents or people of, of of influence. And it's interesting because many of us go through life like that, where we don't even question. We don't even think we should question. Yes. In fact, you get offended when someone questions that. Yeah. And then when you, when you probe further, if you do catch someone in, 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 a, in a moment where they're willing to be temporarily open-minded, you start to realize them unravel as they realize that, hey, I actually don't know why I think, <laughs> why I think this is true. Um, and I think that that's very interesting when you say we, many of us have internalized oppression because 
I think the internalized oppression is something that doesn't get talked about often because maybe there's an element of, of shame to it or it means you have to admit that, you know, you think that you're less than. And yeah. then then there's the systemic oppression. So in your work as a therapist, how have you seen the relationship between internalized oppression and systemic oppression free people? Yeah. So I just want to be sure I'm, I understand what you're saying. So you're how does internalized oppression continue to... Uh, affect us? Yeah, well, so I'm yeah. guessing, I guess what I'm, I'm sorry, thanks for that. No, I, no, no. I, no, no. In order, yeah, in order to clarify that, how have you seen people break, uh, people that choose to break out of internalized oppression and work through this, and work through this mess and systemic oppression uh, turn into freedom? Because there's, in my opinion, mm -hmm. when I started to admit to myself that I thought my hair was inferior initially as a kid or all that and started to love myself and love every aspect of my blackness, mm -hmm. I experienced a certain sense of freedom that made my work even more impactful, um, yes. you know, diversity, equity, inclusion. But that's my experience. And I've seen it with others, others that I work with. But I'm curious as a therapist, if you've seen um, freedom attached to that when people break out of internalized oppression. If that makes oh, sense. yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think that's a beautiful question. And, and I think that the process, much like the therapeutic process or much like healing a limb, if it's been broken, is often it initially starts out really confusing, right? And a little bit cloudy and uncertain. And yeah. if we, if we, right, if we have the ego strength, we're like, yeah, this is what I believe and this is what I'm doing. And I do think that this day and age with the beauty of social media and the beauty of being able to access people that look like us so much more easy, um, there, there is an increase in this like self-concept and self-esteem. At least I see that with a lot of the youth that I work with. Yeah. But I do think that throughout that process, there's a lot of unpacking and digging up of some painful memories and discomfort and um, even history. And that, that's a lot of what I do in decolonizing therapy is I help, you know, indigenous black, brown people um, learn to understand their own history and how to reclaim that and their current life together collectively with joy, you know, not just with anger, because sometimes it's easy for a little while to get into this angry place. I was yeah. like, wow, I've been sleeping on my gifts, man. Like, what? <laughs> right, right? I don't know if you ever felt like that, but I know I did. I'm like, just like, whoa, we, I've really been like second guessing myself. And then that part still comes up. But yeah. when we have like people like yourself out there and other individuals that are doing the work and I'm putting, you know, air quotes, like really doing the internal work and loving themselves, doing the work and understanding their history, where they come from. Um, why things, why their parents landed where they landed or were brought forcibly to where they were, um, I think that we begin to have a lot more compassion for our ancestral stories. I believe that I start to see people have a lot more power and passion and stepping into themselves and this feeling of, you know what? Fuck this. Like, you know, this is what I want to do with my life. I don't want to just work at a nine to five. I don't want to do this. And okay, it's going to take a couple years to get there, but here's how I'm going to start on this path. Here's how I'm going to do it differently so my kids can have it look different or feel different. Um, and I do notice a great deal of empowerment. I notice a great deal of um, fear that friends and family are around folks are yes. not gonna, quote unquote wake up, you know? Yes. Um, and sometimes there is pushback. Like, you know, I can speak for myself and I still work a nine to five and trust me, it's way many more hours than a nine to five. <laughs> and I work full time at a university. And um, right now that's just where it is, believe it or not. I can't even 
uh, really donate full time to decolonizing therapy. And to be honest, people around me, although they know what I do, they're not, I, I could sense the hesitancy and I could sense that it's like, oh yeah, this is great. Good luck. Good job. You're, you're, this is great. Oh, you're on this podcast or, or you were quoted here. Amazing. And to no fault of their own, you know, we're so neck deep in crisis and in trauma and in working on the front lines that it's so hard to pull ourselves away from what is possible, you know? Um, so the internalized oppression, I feel like it's still there. We're still drinking, as I write about, from this poison river. You know, we're still we're still in living out this like colonizer mindset. And sometimes it's very hard to see how, and again, no shade to anyone doing the nine to five or loving their nine to five, but that there are other ways, that there are other possibilities and that internalized oppression keeps us thinking, no, you need to stay here or you think you're better than us or, you know, don't get too big for your britches kind of thing. Yeah. You know, nothing more than the coronavirus is really highlighting some of these problems with systems. I I think (laughs) what I we were talking pre-show, a lot of things I've been reflecting on are just how many people we neglect or how flawed many of our systems are, right? Yes. Whether you're comparing nine to five to people that are freelancers or people that are entrepreneurs or speakers, our artists or people that are, you know, homeless, international students, there are so many people that get affected once you all of a sudden have something that has to force you to stay home or practice some uh, form of quarantine. And it just brings up the question, why haven't we put systems in place for multiple types of people? Yes. And yes. yeah, that, that that that's just what I've been I've been I've been, I find myself questioning if because if now obviously there are state of emergencies and national emergencies in different countries and like okay we need to put this funds here funds here funds here you can we can do this now right so why don't we do this on a regular basis absolutely and what is that barrier you know that, that's that, that that's a thought that comes to my mind yeah I, I agree with you and um. I really, really appreciate the work of um, Mia Mingus. Um, she, uh, they, I believe she or their pronouns, but I would have to triple check on that. So I apologize in advance. Uh, Mia Mingus really is a disability justice advocate. And um, her work is very, very big in like transformative justice. And she talks a lot about how important it is for us to look at how this was already not happening for our people that are disabled, right? right? So think, but think of how easy it is for us now to do this. Like, okay, we're going to online. So this means that so many more, thousands of more people could have worked from home if they're living with any kind of disability, if they're not able to come in, right? Yes. <laughs> right? But it's so yeah. it was so hard for our employers to say, oh, no, so-and-so, absolutely, have that call. Yes, you know, just do it from home. Do your work from home without penalizing or using a trillion sick days. Um, and she also talks about, like, how capitalism and public health are incompatible, right? Can we have public health and live in this capitalistic society that we're in. Um, so I, I highly recommend her, her work um, and her Instagram page is absolutely amazing. I believe a lot of her work comes out of a Bay Area collective in um, California. So I just wanna put that out there because I think that you're so right. You're so right. Like people need to focus on taking care of themselves and their loved ones in their community. And I think it's just ridiculous that we think that it should always be business as usual, business as usual, even amidst a crisis. Of course. Right? Right? Yeah. 
Yeah. You know? yeah. So it's, even that is very capitalistic. It's just sort of like pushing and pushing and pushing and expecting um, that everyone is going to be able to do so. Maybe people are dealing with anxiety. Maybe people, there's a flare up, but you know, so on and so forth. Yeah. 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 No. Yeah. And once again, you know, talking to Dr. Mullen, this is one of the reasons I wanted to have her on the show. It's because I, I think we accept too many definitions without investigating. And her work is about really doing the work, the, the inner work as well as the outer work. And say someone's listening to the podcast and they're thinking, I really identify with everything you're saying, but I'm wondering what things I can do now to mm -hmm. heal within myself. Are there, are there tips you can give someone who wants to start that process, that coping process of, of unlearning, unmasking, and coming to terms with, you know, decolonizing? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that some of the first steps that we can take are beginning to ask ourselves some really simple yet uh, often provocative questions because the questions can sound simple, but when we apply them, keyword, apply them <laughs> <right>? <laughs> to our own lives and our own family trees, that's when the emotions come up. So I would always say, A, I, I'm not giving advice, like I'm not anyone's therapist at this time, you know, any, anyone in the, in the audience, but what right. I would recommend. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Is A, you know, if you are already working with a provider... And no matter their race, identity, skin tone, ask yourself if you're getting what you need. Like, am I receiving what I need? And if not, think about ways to possibly, A, have a conversation with that provider and kind of flush out and process what that would look like and maybe what you would like to focus a little bit more on. Um, if that provider cannot give you what you need, uh, that's very attachment theory, right? Like if yeah. our parents can't give us what do we need, what we need, what do we do? How do we handle this? So th th that's why I bring this up because I think this step is really, really important. Um, are they just stroking our ego? Are they just talking about cognitive distortions all the time and asking us to look at what we're thinking? Or are they helping us unpack where we learn this from and how we feel about having been lied to for the majority of our lives about a lot of this information. So I want to say, A, make sure you have support, right? Not just in the form of maybe a therapist, although of course I always recommend that, but creating a pod or a collective, like are there two or three coworkers or good friends that you have that you can get on a Zoom chat with or get on FaceTime or gets on a WhatsApp chat or when we are not in this current state, get together at the park and just start talking a little bit about what does it mean 
to unpack or unfuck or decolonize ourselves from what we have learned. So that would be the first question. It's like, what does that look like in my healing, like therapeutically? What does that look like in my job? What does it look like to unpack and undo the way that I eat? Where did I learn to eat the way that I do? <laughs> you know, what about my work habits? Am I including rest in my work habits? Have I been taught that I need to work all the time, kind of like a mule? And hint, hint, that was a very purposeful example, you know, <laughs> right? Because for a lot of us, like I know a lot of my ancestors, right? My ancestors were brought over from the motherland continent to the country of Panama, right? To build the Panama Canal. And they were made to work for like probably 20 hours a day. Many of them died of tuberculosis. And so hence, when I look at my African ancestry, when I look at how people landed in Panama, when I look at, you know, my grandfather's background, when I look at how he looks extremely African, how my grandmother looks extremely indigenous, where did she come? These questions allow us so much freedom to unpack and unravel. And even if I don't know exact ancestors' names and who came over from what country um, and what province in Africa and who came over from here and there, even if I don't know these things, I can start to surmise based on when my my grandparents lived and where they were in Panama. Um, so that this can go for any of us. Any of us can do this. Another thing that we can do is begin to form a practice of starting to connect with our ancestors. Now, this can go across any, you can be agnostic, atheist, you know, uh, any kind of religion, and still be able to sit for a few minutes, take three deep breaths, close your eyes, put your hand on your belly or your heart, and literally let your nervous system come down about five notches and ask the question, ancestors, what would you like me to know today? You know, and, and, and just giving space for a response. And many of us, I just want to put out there, um, are not necessarily going to hear something, <laughs> right? But, but you may feel this pull to, you know, just start writing. So sometimes I start writing and it just says, slow down, rest, make sure to take deep breaths throughout the day. Now that might seem like something really basic, but it's not. You're forming a relationship. You're, and sometimes it's, Remember who you are and who you're a descendant of. Remember to tell people what they need to hear, not what makes you safe today, Jennifer. Remember, sometimes I hear some things, like I'm just like, whoa, where did this come from? Is it from me or is it from them? But I assure you that that bond and that connection and the way that you move in the world will continue to thrive. That cord between you and your ancestral lineage and those ways of doing things will continue to get thicker and juicier and be throbbing. <laughs> and you'll continue to move in a way where you'll often throughout the day slow down and ask yourself, hey, wait a minute. Is this moving in a way in which colonizers and, and, and very Eurocentric frames and systems want me to move? Or do I need to look at this from a different perspective? You know, yeah. what, what would my people have done 500 years ago? You know, how, what is another way that I could bring community into this? Is individual therapy the only way to bring healing into this space? Can I do more group work? Can I do more collective work? Can I do a workshop or a writing thing with these kids and ask them to meditate? And, you know, what are other ways that we can bring our people's healing into the space? Yeah, yeah. It's it's really this investigation of self that needs to be done. And that's a, that's a level of self-awareness that many people don't get to access uh, because we just go, 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 go. But we don't, we're not as present as we ought to be oftentimes. Yeah. 
And yes. so when you, yeah, when you become present and then you reflect on, Hey, what is my history? What, what, what did I learn in school about my history? What are the discrepancies between these two? Uh, what are things that I have to practice loving, uh, you know, about myself? Because even when you think about something like hair, where mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, it's really criminalized in many places where it's, you have to either go to the Eurocentric way of, of, of straightening your hair if your hair is not, isn't straight, or you are considered a wild person. Do you yeah. accept that? And then yeah. if you accept that, does that mean you lose, you know, you, you have so many thoughts that you go down those spaces and then people, um, who are able to have more power, more access, how can we create more safe spaces to actually have these dialogues, uh, become more of everyday conversation. So it's, there's so many things to be done. Um, I guess the question is how many of us are willing to do it? Uh, yeah. 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 That, that's a great question. <laughs> yeah. 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 But you know, honestly, during these times more than ever, my hope, um, and not to put like this little golden Pollyanna spin on anything, but you know, in dealing with the act of quarantining and, and lockdowns and people feeling isolated, you know, I'm thinking of people that are not getting access. Like I, I was seeing some men um, who I presumed were either Central American or undocumented men. Um, I, I made an assumption. I wasn't sure. And they were all standing outside on the corner, definitely looking for work. And I wanted to sob. I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, like these men are likely going home to homes with children, with people, um, you know, and, and where I come, you know, where I live in New Jersey, like that's very common. You know, a lot of times people that are undocumented will stand on certain corners in certain areas. And if you need help with your roofing, if you need help with A, B, C, and D, you ask some of these people to come with you and help out. Like that's something that happens in areas that are below the poverty level. It's very common, you know? Right. Um, and and all I keep thinking about is, how are they are they going to feed their families like what are we what have we done wrong what have we done to not allow access to all individuals and humans to not be able to eat and survive yet our government is bailing out already businesses and billionaires and people that that don't need the bailing out right we have we have a crisis going on so this makes me start to think about this is essential to do this inner work. This is a time when I think all of us need to look at what do we have to offer? How can we help outside of our irrespective like day-to-day lives and jobs? And who can we support? If we have some of the physical means or the financial means, how can we go beyond ourselves and make sure that their families and children and people that have little to nothing how can they thrive? So these questions to me allow us to expand and open up more to our humanity, to have more compassion for people rather than blaming them and saying like, you know, oh, they're lazy. They need to get a job or they need to like, <laughs> you yes. know, right. You know, like they yeah. just need to work harder. And, 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 uh, you know, I, I remember uh, going to a people's Institute of survival and beyond undoing racism training, which I highly recommend to everybody out there listening. Um, they're all over the world. Um, And I remember one of the trainers saying, you know, some of the poorest people I know are some of the hardest working people I've ever met in my life. So that belief that like 
people below the poverty level are lazy, like that is something that we need to unpack and look at ourselves and ask ourselves, where did we get that from? And what ego trip are we riding on here? <laughs> no, it, it, it's so true. It's so true. I, I mean, I, I, I share the same sentiments. And I saw, um, I don't know if anybody, if you know Jesse Williams, uh, actor. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and yeah, many people like him for many reasons. Uh, <laughs> his, his activism as well as his looks. But <laughs> but um, he put up something the other day, and he says to those who now have 28 packages of pasta, to those who are searching the black market for hand sanitizer, to those who walk around with a face mask, and to those who are planning to flee with their kids out of a corona-infected area, never again look down on people who flee from war and famine. I'm just saying, you know, it's so easy, you know, when everything is set up for you to say, you're lazy, go to your place. We don't need you. What's the problem? You know, I did it. My parents did it. Why are you complaining? And all of a sudden, you're made to feel equal, maybe, or semi-equal for a day. You're like, what the? This is, this is coming for me too? (laughs) I thought I was protected from this. Yes, and it's uh, it's a fascinating uh, just uh, the insight into our humanity. And so I, I have the same hope and I am going to remain positive. But uh, it's it's tough. It's, you know, when you, you do see it every day. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that I'm just thinking while you're talking, I'm like nodding my head. And, like you know, I'm just thinking that's a really powerful statement. And I think that people of color, our indigenous peoples also, um, and many queer identified and disabled people are have been at a very particular place of understanding survival for a very long time. Yes. You know? Um, we're, and I'm not saying, oh, we're used to coronavirus. That, that's not what I'm saying. I, metaphorically, we're used to attacks. <laughs> we're, many of us are used to not having things handed to us. Um, some of us are used to and understand what it's like not to have enough food in the house or making do with just no yeah. milk, right? Yeah. Or no whatever, yeah. <laughs> right? right? Um, so we're, we, we understand people in poverty, people that are not documented, people that are treated as other have a very uh, strong grounding right now, I notice. A lot of the people that I serve, my clients are like, you know what? I remember feeling like this when I was little, when we were fleeing Syria. I remember when we were da, 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 and I was leaving Portugal and this is what happened to me. I remember, you know, my mother was left in the Dominican Republic and I had to come here for five years and I didn't know her until I was seven. And, you know, and I'm thinking about like all the trauma, which hence, which is the work that I do around decolonizing therapy is helping people pack years upon years upon years, and even before they were born, of, of, of trauma timelines. Trauma timelines, and how did you survive these fucking times, right? Like, yeah. how did we get through this, and how do we manage to still stand here, smiling at you, looking shiny, <laughs> yeah. Just, right? Despite yeah. the level of oppression and fear. So again, not that there are not people of color out there or poor people that are not deeply affected by the coronavirus. Of course, of course they are and there will be. Um, But what I'm saying is I think that we have a very clear grasp on how we need to handle these things and survive. And community is one of the ways that we get through this. So when you asked about techniques or things that people can do, 
it is really crucial that we shift our thinking from individualistic, me, 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 Western Eurocentric mind to we, because a lot of the places that we all came from, right, yeah. including indigenous, you know, Turtle Island, like native, like our land, this land where originally was who we belonged to, it was all about us. It was all about I am only as well as my yeah. community. Yeah. It was collectivist, you know, a lot of it was it was very collectivist. Uh, Time. I mean, I you know, I I I find myself vacillating between the two because I, I ended up moving around. But Nigeria, you know, it's very yeah. collective. It's, it's what are we, our family, um, and all that. Oh gosh, just got an alert. Idris Elba tested positive. Um, oh, but wow. it's okay. But it's okay. But sorry, <laughs> this is the time we live in. Um, um, but yeah, you're so right. I I think um, it's it's a time for true reflection. One thing I wanted to harp on before we close is. So you believe that trauma is, a sen is ancestral. It passes on through generations. Absolutely. Generation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, my whole dissertation was on inter the soul wound, the intergenerational trauma transmission process for inner city male youth. Um, so that, that's, that is like the crux of my research. And so when I talk about ancestral trauma, it is definitely speaking of um, the intergeneral, the intergenerational effects, and how that gets passed down epigenetically through social learning, behaviorally, you name it, intrapsychically. So yes, yes, I do. Um, and so I, I don't think that we're just holding our trauma; we're also holding, unbeknownst to them or to us, sometimes unconsciously, some of the trauma, the anxieties, the behavioral patterns of the people that came before us and how they survived. Wow. Yeah. yeah, and I, I believe that too, but it, I have to admit, that was something that I came into uh, realization recently, and maybe in the past two years or so, and mm. it's something I never even thought about, um, just because the, the way that I was taught, or the way I, I, there we go, the way I was taught, the way that I, I grew up, you just sort of, oh yeah, you're in control of your own, that this is you, stop it, if you feel a certain way, suppress your emotions, then you have the masculinity and all that, and I have always been this naturally emotive, emotional guy who was the oldest of three boys, uh, men. And then, mm. you know, I found myself as a kid going between suppressing and then finally saying, I'm not going to suppress any of these things. I feel anxious. I feel this, but I had to really have breakdowns for me to even get to that point because I was thinking something was wrong with me. It was like, mm. why am I feeling these things without, uh, any outlet and everybody else seems to be fine. Right. It's yeah. not, Todd. So it's it's interesting that you say that. Ah, uh, wow, ancestral. There's a lot to unpack. Yeah. I, know. <laughs> I wish we I wish we had more time. But okay. So in terms of how you spread your work, then if someone wants to get access to you and learn more about these things that you talked about, because as we've uh, highlighted, there's way more to unpack. How can they reach out to you? How can they find out more? What can they do? Yeah. Thank you. Um, please feel free to check me out on my website. So it's www.drjennifermullen, and that's M-U-L-L-A-N.com. Um, and that can lead you, if you're interested in chatting with me, we can schedule a 15-minute, actually, I do more of a 20-minute, <laughs> uh, free sort of like consultation and make sure that we're both on the same page. I'm also in the process, um, not me, but amazing helpers, shout out to my assistant, <laughs> um, you know, creating like a decolonizing therapy separate website um, because I'm going to be bringing on two to three people that can begin to do this work 
along with me um, and then continue to expand it because you know there, it, it isn't just about Jennifer Mullen. It is a collective. So these are people that I have done groups with and worked with and, um, and that they have their own specialties and areas in which they reign amazingly supreme. They're amazing at what they do. So um, I'm going to be bringing some other people on so people can get their needs met and they don't just have to work with me. They can work with said person B and C and D. So I'm in the process of kind of creating this whole new system to change the way that we quote unquote heal and receive services. Um, the yeah. other thing that they can do is check me out on Instagram, which is at decolonizing therapy. Um, also feel free to check out Twitter and that's at Dr. Jenny Jen um, as well. So um, yeah, yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Oh. No, put I'll just I'll put all this in the show notes. And once again, I you know I, I found Dr. Mullen on, on Instagram, so our Instagram page is, is just chock full of knowledge. So make sure you check it out. And I'm excited for the platform that you're building because I, I do think that's that's even going to take this up to a different level, which is which is interesting. Um, and I, I think uh, thinking of decolonization in our daily lives is is just going to help us unpack many things. So thank you so much for for uh, that education. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for your platform and the work that you do as well. Thank you for being in this world. We need you. Uh, we need you too. <laughs> before, you go, I, before you go, I have one question. This is the last question I always ask my guests and it, uh -huh. my, it's my mission statement reframed as a question. So okay. my mission statement is use your difference to make a difference. So how do you, Dr. Mullen, use your difference to make a difference? Mm, that's a great question. I love that. I would like to believe that the way that I use my difference to make a difference is um, having come to own my vulnerability and my passion and sensitivity in the way that I communicate. I, I believe, I'm told that when I speak and I speak from the heart and the gut that people feel me, you know, that they could feel themselves feel, that yes. I can stir shit up in people. <laughs> Yeah. So um, I think that my vulnerability is my quote unquote superpower. And I think I make a difference by allowing people to feel more, to reflect more and to be okay with intense emotion like anger and rage and deep sadness, knowing that all of those feelings have a place in our lives and um, we wouldn't be able to feel them if we weren't supposed to. <laughs> that, yeah. that it, you know, that it's safe, that it's okay and it's safe to feel intense emotions. So that's what I think. So, yeah. I say very similar things. I always say my vulnerability is my superpower. So this is why I feel very connected to you. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, I really appreciate that. Thank you for spending time with us. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you everyone for listening in and getting this far in the podcast. <laughs> yes. And ladies, gentlemen, and gender nonconformists, till next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.